Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Last Word on Sends podcast, episode 37. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger, and joining me today, he is the co-host of the Future Sickos podcast, is Jack Richardson. Jack, thank you so much for joining me. How's it going, man? Yeah, no worries. I'm happy to be here, and I'm, uh, I'm doing well. There's a lot to, a lot to cover today, and uh going to have a lot of hockey to talk about in the next month, so I'm looking forward to it, and uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's an absolute hectic time in the schedule. Obviously, we just got a little bit of a weekend off there uh, with the All-Star break, which I'm sure we're bound to talk about a little bit, obviously, with Kachuk going um, because Batherson couldn't. But um, yeah, like th- this upcoming schedule is the most insane. This is even crazier than last year. Last year, it felt like there was a lot of hockey in a little amount of time. But uh, just for anyone wondering, so the Sens played yesterday, which was uh, when we're recording this was Monday. They played tonight as well. They have five games in seven days this week. They then follow that back up with uh, four games in seven days next week. And uh, I believe another four games the week after that as well. So uh, they have a ton of hockey to play, but um, you know, we got a lot to review as well because the last time we recorded, it was actually during the Buffalo Sabres game. Um, again, when they won five, nothing on a Tuesday night, uh, I believe when I was recording, I was worried because Thomas Shabbat went down and I was nervous about that, but uh, he obviously returned to the game. Unfortunately, a, another Senator did not make it through that game. And that would be the one and only Drake Batherson um, 30 hit by Aaron, Be- uh, Aaron Dell. Sorry. Uh, Dell got a three game suspension. I can't, apparently the last goalie suspended was actually Jamie noodles, McLennan back in like Oh seven. So that tells you, just how long ago a goalie would have been uh, suspended for and, you know, what it takes for a goalie to get suspended. Um, I was shocked that the league actually suspended them. I'll get your thoughts on it too, but um, you know, obvious. And then Dell got uh, demoted anyways, waves. So I don't even think he's suspended. He hasn't even served those games yet. Um, It's just super unfortunate because there's no length of suspension from a bad goalie that is going to justify Batherson being out what they have announced at least two months. It's looking good right now for what it's worth. He has already said that, He's walking around a little bit, but uh, just it's one. It was one of the most gut wrenching things to see when he went down like that. Yeah, I, I've mentioned this too before because it has been a while now that's passed, and and thankfully Batherson is just you know all high spirits about it. Uh, he he talked to the media, I guess it was yesterday, and he was really upbeat and he's already walking around on it with a high ankle sprain, which is a really good sign. Um, I, I remember when it happened, you know, it's just that helpless feeling. And I'm sure everyone felt that way. It's like, you know, a goalie does that in an empty rink in a game in the middle of January. It's, it's almost feels pointless. Um, But like you said, him getting demoted after the suspension happened, which I thought, I I mean, three games as fair as it's going to get, like it was a dirty play that led to an injury. What can you do? Um, But I think him getting demoted is a big factor because, you know, you pick up a goalie off waivers or, uh, make a trade for an AHL goalie. You're trying to use him in a pinch. So in a pinch now, he's got to serve a three-game suspension on your team. So I can't imagine any team that was would be willing to do that. He is the fourth string, or was, I guess, the fourth string on the Sabres who are employing Craig Anderson as their starter this season. So, you know, it, it's good that I, I believe his career is over now. Uh, you know, I don't think it's pretty far, as far-fetched to say that. Um, and I guess for anyone listening, so we can take some solace and. Aaron Dell, and just to stick it to him even more, he was, I want to say 12, 15, and three with the San Jose Sharks in the 2019 20 season. So he contributed a great deal to the reason Tim Stutzel is an Ottawa Senator. So I, I like to point that out. 
um, when it happened. But yeah, it, it just sucks. Um, hopefully Batherson makes a speedy recovery. It looks like he will. Um, but man, it just a helpless feeling and a gut, a gut, a gutty play, a gutless play, uh, pretty much from a goalie. Yeah, and it's something he had a history of too. Like the, uh, already that night, there was uh, Mark Stone. He had done the same thing earlier in the year, and there was two other clips from past seasons too. It's just like, man, like you, you would have had to think that one eventually you were going to absolutely clip someone, and this was going to happen. But uh, yeah, I don't really see anyone like as you mentioned. It's not like he was good anyways in uh, twelve NHL games with Buffalo this year. He has an eight ninety three save percentage and a four point zero three goals against average think that's an outlier number well in seven games last year with new jersey he went one and five with a 414 goals against average and an 857 save percentage so he was a bad goalie to begin with yeah i really don't see him getting another shot in the nhl um because yeah you, you can't sit out like if a team needs him it's got to be we just literally need a body to play and he's got to sit and serve suspension games so uh yeah I, I don't see him ever playing in the nhl again and Whatever. Like, I think his time was probably coming to an end anyways. He's a 32-year-old goalie who hasn't been even remotely good since his rookie year or since it back in, like, 2016-17 with San Jose. So, I, I just – I shouldn't say that's yeah. not his rookie year. I think – oh, yeah, actually, it might have been. I, I don't even care. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like, it's just – it's one of those things where it just – it really sucks to see. Um, and I just felt so bad for Batherson because, you know, he, he missed out on going to the All-Star game, which, um, you know, truthfully – I think he'll make another one, but you never know. Like it's never a guarantee, right? Especially with, you know, how good Shabbat is and Stutzla, how great Stutzla is. And, you know, Kachuk's obviously going to be in the mix every year. Some years there's only going to be a, a time where one or two cents can make the all-star game. And, you know, especially with how loaded the conference look, or the division looks right now, the way it's currently set up is just, you're always going to have a couple Tampa Bay lightning. You know, you're always going to have a couple of those skilled Toronto forwards going as well. Right. So uh, there's limited opportunity. And I thought, you know, out of all the years, Vegas is definitely one of the places I thought players might actually want to go. So just kind of sucks for him. But, um, you know, I also thought it was cool that, you know, Kachuk, obviously, who is his replacement, called it out a couple of times saying he didn't really like how he went because he was replacing Batherson and mentioned a couple of times that Batherson's the one who should be here. So, uh, you know, not that we should expect anything less from Kachuk because that is just the leadership. I think we've, we've come to know from him too. Right. Yeah, it's perfect. I, th I think he's, you know, he had the not guilt, but he, he was a little apprehensive about enjoying the experience, right? If this was his first time, it'd be a different story, right? I was thinking maybe they send Norris, which I guess we can get into because it happened the next game, but um, you know, Norris or Stuis even or Shabbat, like any of those guys could have gone and it would have been uh, the same kind of situation, right? They would have felt bad for Drake who earned the domination. Um, and I think I, I was saying this before when Drake was actually named to the all-star uh, team, it was, it felt like the first deserving nomination in a while for the Sens, right? I mean, Kachuk went a couple of years ago, but that was because Matthews was injured. And then I think Duclair was there, but he hadn't scored in like 20 games or something like that. So it felt like a little um, just because they needed one guy from every team kind of thing. Uh, but this year felt like Drake Batherson, like the way he was playing, just really deserved to go. Um, and it would have been fun to see him in those skills competitions. Not that Brady Kachuk isn't a skilled hockey player, but, you know, it, he did that shooting one, I think, uh, with, the, with the cards, which was pretty cool. But other than that, I mean, not much else. And I was, I'm curious to see what Batherson would have been doing. Cause he's uh, definitely a, a very skilled player. So uh, yeah, it sucks, but uh, you know, like I said, I hope he makes a speedy recovery and gets back at least by the end of March. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of looking like he might be on pace to do that. Again, like everything that we've heard from the organization and, and himself is that it's pretty quick. He said it was the doctor said it was one of the quickest cases of already getting back to walking. So that's exciting. And then, yeah, obviously, uh, bad news is followed up with more bad news. It's just an ugly, scary collision with uh, Svechnikov. Josh Norris took a, in the following game against the Carolina Hurricanes and went just crashing into the boards. And uh, everyone kind of right away, oh, shoot, that's a shoulder injury. Um, it sounds like it's better than, you know, it, it looked honestly like it was real. I was like, when I saw it, I went, oh my God, that is horrible. Um, but, you know, it sounds like everything is pretty structure, structurally sound. Um, you know, from the team, well, sorry, from a certain reporter that is basically from the team. Um, uh, so it sounds like, you know, they're expecting him back probably sometime after, you know, sometime in the next, uh, I don't know if it's in the next immediate trade of games, but uh, definitely in this, you know, gruesome trip of games, it doesn't sound like he should be out for more than a couple weeks here. And that's obviously a good thing, but um, yeah, obviously, you know, injuries are just, they're piling up at the worst time and, and, it's unfortunate, but it's been really interesting to see how this team battles through it because there was a couple, there was a couple games there before that all-star break where the centers were really crawling to the finish line, especially with their forward lines up front. And it was like, wow, like, I don't know if I've seen this bad of forward lines, even in like the other three years of this rebuild, um, but they, you know, they still got it through and got some points, you know, obviously um, including the Buffalo game in, in their last uh, six games. Now they are, um, I think it's, three, two, and one, or three, one, and two. Uh, they beat Buffalo, lost in the shootout, lost to the Ducks in a pretty close one as well. So there's one, one, and one, beat the Oilers, uh, lost to the Islanders in that, that in a game I, I, I already want to forget. So yeah, I, I guess they went uh, three, two, and one, um, which is a fine record, you know, for how just injured the team has been and how, you know, short some of the lines have looked, that's for sure. I think they're just over 500 since um, that first Carolina game. Actually, it's, it's funny. They're playing them tonight and they have a lot recently, you know, three of in, in the two games they played them, they've taken three of a possible four points. So um, it, it'll be interesting to see them so quickly after that game with Norris, because as you mentioned, like it wasn't that long ago. Um, and that was the game where they were just completely down bad. They had no one else in their lineup and to where we saw Stutzla and Kachuk together, which is the case now, but this time they've got Connor Brown back, Zaitsev's back, uh, Gambrella's back, so they've got bodies that are uh, capable of eating big minutes in the lineup. So it'll be it'll be good to see them against Carolina once again um, in an empty arena, pretty much with with just 500 fans. But I'm curious mostly just to see the way they play on us on the back to back. Right? I mean, they're not as depleted as they were. I, I was checking the ice time before we recorded, and Thomas Shabbat led the team with 23 minutes. It was a pretty all round effort from everyone. Um, just, I guess, for Carolina, it's, they also played a tough game against Toronto, so it's not a situation where they're not on a back-to-back. So I'm just a, kind of expecting a wash in terms of the back-to-backness. Um, and because you, you mentioned that Islanders game, and that was just a that was a write-off, like you said. It was kind of it reminds me of that New Year's Day game with Toronto, right? You just kind of forget about it and move on. Um, but yeah, that, that Carolina game, the shootout, I was very impressed. Right? They, they lost Norris, and then they they were depleted lineup and, and I think they were up by one with five to go. Uh, and then Carolina ties it and then a shootout is a shootout. So uh, I, I've been, ha- I've been really happy with the way they've played. And I think DJ Smith er- deserves a ton of credit. Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk about tweaking the system and I think it happened when they got all the injuries and it's working. I think it's their neutral zone and their four check he was saying today. So 
those are two important things. It's, it's playing without the puck, right? That's what the system should be. So he, he deserves a lot of credit because he gets a lot of flack from the fan base. A lot of it deserved. Um, we could probably maybe get into Zaitsev a bit later because he's been, uh, he's we been, will, don't you worry. Now that he's back. Yeah. Now that he's back. So, uh, but yeah, I'm very impressed with their effort against Carolina. That's a top team in the league. Um, and pretty much, I, I think Carolina is a very good model for what the Sens should aim to be uh, and, and are on track to be, I think. Yeah. I mean, I got all the time in the world for the Hurricanes organization in terms of how they've built this team. Um, you know, skilled forwards who can play responsibly defensively, um, but obviously have a ton of skill up front. You know, they can beat you in multiple different ways. They can play that quote unquote grinded out, you know, gritty kind of game as well. And, um, you know, they, they built up front, they've got the back end and it's been interesting to see how they go about the goalie position. Obviously they, you know, we thought they all found their goaltender in the future last year, Nadalkovic, and then they decided not to, they, they traded him away for what was, I, frankly, to me, is still way too low of a cost. I don't even think they got a first back for him, which is just insanity. I think but, it was a third. I think it was a third. Yeah, which is yeah. just crazy. I'm sorry. But, like, that's yeah. nuts. But, um, you know, they they relied. They knew. I think they probably realized that their system kind of creates the goaltender a lot more, too. And they went out and signed Freddie Anderson, who had, you know, obviously been just crippled with injuries in Toronto for the year, previous year. And Frederick Anderson is now, you know, up there as a Vesna candidate, you know? And so again, is that all Frederick Anderson? Probably not. Is it all the system? Probably not, but it's probably a nice in between where if you get a good goalie, your system can prop them up that much more. And that's what I'm really interested to see if an Ottawa defensive group can do, because that's the big area where they're lacking right now. I think Ottawa's forwards are shaping up to be, but that Carolina blue line has been absolutely money and deep for a number of years. And you know, that, that would be exciting if Ottawa could get anything like that going. And I think I think it's a good comparison too because for two reasons. One, I don't think they have a marketable name on their team, right? It's just a like Aho and Sveshnikov are elite players, but they're not like you know bona fide superstars. Uh, and I think the Sens, excuse me, the Sens are going the same way. Albeit Tim Stutzel is a bit of a wild card, right? He could end up being that, but I think what they have right now is pretty similar. And then the second is because their owner is kind of known to kind of pinch pennies. I think Nedeljkovic was a reason that they they moved him because of the. They didn't want to pay a rookie goalie what he was asking. Um, so that's, again, like it's obviously a reason that the Sens can be linked to the Hurricanes. Uh, it's a small market team um, that if you build a contending and exciting team to watch, then they're they're going to sell tickets. And the other thing that I think the, the Sens match up well against them this season in particular is because they don't have a bona fide superstar, right? I mean, look at, look at their game against the Capitals, for example. Uh, the, the one in Washington Ovechkin just alone in front twice. And it's in the back of your net. Like they made those mistakes against New Jersey last night and they didn't cost them because they weren't superstars taking the shots. Uh, and you mentioned Frederick Anderson as well. That was a gamble of a contract this summer, but it just shows how much goaltending can change stuff for you. Right. Um, and he, in that Ottawa game that they lost in the shootout, like if Anderson was the difference, he, he, I think they had 40 shots. They outshot, yeah, they outshot the Hurricanes in that one, if I'm remembering correctly. Put up 40 shots in back-to-back games, including that Buffalo one. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to tonight. I'm, I'm not sure when uh, this will come out, probably after the game, obviously. But, um, yeah, it, so it, it's uh, encouraging that they're playing so well against the good teams. That seems to be the theme um, this season so far. Yeah, this will definitely come out probably tomorrow afternoon, so people will know the result. and. Fingers crossed we're not jinxing them to just get absolutely blown out 7 nothing or something like that. But um, the other thing I want to touch on, too, is just, uh, you know, we mentioned, you know, that Islanders game being right off. And 
That's totally fair. I mean, it's the last game on an already been a pretty grueling schedule before you get a full week off, basically heading into an all-star break on a back-to-back already. Um, you know, I, I really wasn't expecting much out of that, but the fact that they could grind it out and stole another couple points from the or well, a point from the Oilers, Oilers at least they won in overtime. Um, you know, again, like that, it's just that kind of effort where this team absolutely could have folded and just got crushed the last three or four games that they played. But you know, even that Anaheim game on the Saturday, I thought they played really well. Like I thought, you know, oh, yeah. overall the game, like I thought they should have won that. If you replay that game, to be completely honest, John Gibson made 44 out of 45 stops. How often is that going to happen? And they got goalied two games in a row pretty much. Yeah. And yeah. And Forsberg did quite have the best night the other way, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, like and even that they just, they kind of bounced back and took two points from Edmonton and um, you know, it's kind of tough because they are so far out of the standings where it's like, you you don't want just moral victories. You want it to actually mean something, but you know, with a season like this, I think you kind of, you kind of need to take the moral victories when you can. Yeah. So I've been looking at the standings since they came back from their COVID, uh, you know, since that Leafs game, essentially uh, when they started to win again, because that's when it's fun to look at the standings, obviously. But um, I think Steve on Sens pointed it out today on Twitter. He said, you know, he checked the standings and they were 21 or 19 points out of a playoff spot, which is a long way to go. And it's very unrealistic, but then you look and they're 11 points up on the last place team. So they're, they seem like they're at the bottom, but they're in this middle tier, I think with like the, the flyers, the devils, the, you know, where they're not completely garbage, but they still have a, a number of game in hand games in hand, excuse me, on a lot of these teams. And obviously you have to win those games, but by winning percentage, I think they're closer to the 20th spot than they are to the 30th which is improvement, you know, at the end of the day. Uh, and that's kind of all we wanted to see. I mean, they technically improved standing wise last season, but uh, it was too little too late and the divisions were weird. So it was, it was strange because you weren't playing every other team, but this year we're getting to see them against every other team. And I think I can say in a, maybe five games where they've been outclassed and just been outplayed and it's against the Leafs, maybe the, the lightning and the um, not, I can't see, can't even say the Panthers, but, you know, the games you expect and you don't expect the Sens to be competing in yet. Um, so you're right, though. It, the moral victories, for me, I lost feeling for the moral victories this season. I didn't want any of those, right? I was I was all in. I thought they looked great at the end of last year. Um, I, even though they didn't make any moves in the offseason, I wasn't saying, oh, it's doom and gloom because of that. Uh, and then obviously the injuries to White and Pinto kind of changed the narrative there. But, you know, um, I've been very happy with the way they're playing. It's it's exciting to watch, you know, and, and it's fun to talk about. We got a lot to talk about, uh, which is all we can ask for right now. So, um, moral victories, yes, but also they're playing well and deserving to win a lot of more games than they have. I think. Yeah, they're definitely not one of those lottery teams like they have been the past couple of years. I'll even include last year. Kind of felt like they were a lottery team for most of the year, and yeah, they they rattled off. It was like eight of their last ten or something like that, but my God, that whole North division was trying to lose every game they could end the year for some reason. Yeah. Like no, no team wanted to win. And well, it, like they were beat up on Vancouver too, right? Like, yeah, not, not to interrupt there, but so last year, a fun little tidbit, 0-9 against the Oilers. If the Sens won four of nine against the Oilers or took eight points out of those nine games, um, they would have made the playoffs. They would have beat, yep. beaten Montreal out for the last and, spot. Like, it puts things in perspective. I want to say it was the same for Calgary too, because they went like yep. basically seven and two. I think it was against Calgary. Calgary need four points to make the playoffs. It's like all you had exactly. to do was beat this Ottawa Senators team two more mm-hmm. times, and you were in the playoffs. And and you and think you think it's yeah. 
And, and the, the weirdest part about that is if Calgary or Ottawa would have made the playoffs, the team they would have kicked out is the Montreal Canadiens who went all the exactly. way to the cup finals, which I was just going to say that. Yeah. yeah. It, it's such a random sport, but uh, yeah, like this year, you know, Ottawa's 15th in the conference by points, but they are fourth last or, or um, 13th right now by uh, um, points percentage. And they're very close to Philly who I think they will probably pass. Um, and honestly, they're pretty close to both Columbus. The Islanders are bringing it on again as well. But, um, you know, they definitely are, I think, going to finish closer to that 10th, 11th, 12th area in their own conference. And, you know, closer to 20th, as you said, in the league than they are bottom three, bottom four, like they have been. And I, I definitely agree where it's like, if you look at uh, raw points, it looks like this team is still a basement team. They're not. They're not they're not a playoff no. team either. I, I think the, the quote I saw today getting dumped on was uh, TSN Simmer saying they're only 21 points out of a playoff spot, which <laughs> is only 21 points is still a very, very, very lot amount, a lot amount of points. But, well, um, you know, yeah, they're, they're playing fine. Like they're playing 500 hockey and that's frankly mm-hmm. better than we've seen in four years now. So it's, 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 a, it's improvement, which is, uh, you know, a sobering aspect of what, the hockey world is right but i think and you brought up simmer i remember he pointed out a, uh, about a week ago he was like uh is the top eight in the east just that good or is the bottom eight that bad and you know i'm looking at the wild card standings right now the bruins have 43 games played 55 points so they're in the last wild card spot next closest team is detroit with 47 games played and 56 points so they're nine points out with and the Red Wings have four games in hand. So there's a very big divide, um, you know, but even, I mean, look at, look at the, uh, the Blackhawks are 24th in the league. That's kind of where Ottawa's games in hand kind of catch up. So the Sens have five games in hand on the Blackhawks and they're five points back of 24th in the league. Like that's where those games in hand can come in handy. And, and when they're playing like this, it's fair to assume that they'll at least get a point out of these games. Right. Um, so yeah, it's fun looking at standings, obviously, uh, and the reason I like doing it is because when that pick gets to that range in the 20th, where you're not going to be a lottery team, pretty much, you're going to be drafting somewhere between 15th and 11th. Then it becomes in play for a trade, uh, you know, which I thought last year they would do must not have been anyone good on the market, I guess, but um, you know, so that, that's why it gets fun. And, and there's still a lot of time left in the season. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, last year, OEL went for the ninth overall pick. So I'm, I'm okay if they stay away from them. Granted, Garland was part of that. But um, yeah, no, it's definitely one of those things where, again, like if you if you sort by point percentage and you assume that Ottawa can just take one point from every game on average, or sorry, you know, like go 500 on average, I should say, um, whether that's, you know, take an overtime loss here and there and then win a couple, um, you know, they're going to rise from this 415 that they're at. And this improvement has come without a healthy roster at all this year. You know, obviously Pinto went down five games in. I, I won't count. Well, I try, well, it's not that I don't count White, but when the whole team or the whole fan base have felt like wanted to buy him out all through the offseason, I kind of don't give them credit for when it's like, well, we're missing Colin White. It's like, hey, you didn't want him on the team. Regardless. Yeah, you can't have it both ways. Can't have it Exactly. Ways, yeah. But but regardless, like they, you know, Murray got sent to the minors for a part of this year, right? And he's someone I want to get into as well. Um, oh, and now sure. Batherson's out, Norris is out. We're still seeing that improvement. So it, it is very encouraging. And, um, you know, Murray's one of the guys that I want to bring up over the stretch because one of the biggest differences is, as well as, you know, the guys are, you know, grinding down or whatever and making do with what they have. But Matt Murray playing like an actually good goaltender over the past, you know, 
seven, eight, nine games since he's came back. That's been the biggest difference between stealing points from a team like Edmonton and, you know, playing hard in there against a team like Carolina for a while. And, um, you know, even, even last night against the devils, I, I didn't think, um, goaltending was super special by any means, but they just, it got the job done, you know, like mm-hmm. they, uh, the Sens got outshot 33 to, uh, 24 and, you know, like Murray shut the door on 32 of those. I thought, you know, I didn't think he was super, super tested. I thought he made one or two really, really nice saves. And that's all they needed for a four to coast to a four, one win. And like, if Murray's going to play like that, and obviously not nine seventy level every game, but if Murray could be like a nine fifteen, nine twenty goal, I think that's kind of what they were expecting. And that is just you're going to see leaps and bounds improvement in the standing if you get that kind of goaltending consistently. Yeah, so I was I was excited going into this season for a couple of reasons, and the biggest one was to compare to other teams that were rebuilding, like the New Jersey's, Anaheim, all, all those guys, right? More so than I was excited to see them play the top teams that they hadn't been able to play last year. But, you know, a team like the Devils is a good example to compare to, especially in their current situation. You know, Hughes was out, no Dougie Hamilton. And, you know, I think they've had problems with their goaltending. Like Blackwood's supposed to be their starter. I don't know if he's injured or on COVID reserve, but he he hasn't been great this season. So, looking at the devil's team last night versus the Sens team last night, the difference was goaltending, even if Murray wasn't anything special, right? He was just good. Like you said, and the devil's goaltender wasn't like he let in some pretty savable shots. So to me, it's like Murray is five Oh and two or five, five Oh and two since that game against the Leafs. So he's now five, six and two on the season after starting Oh and six. So he's completely turned a season around probably his career uh, with the Sens around um with this little stretch because he had a good stretch last year but i think right at the end of the year as well right right at the end of the year too right so this is a perfect time for him to be picking up steam and you know we're we're watching him not steal games but be there when they need him and when they when they traded for him and they traded for a goalie i remember the whole discourse before was you need to trade for a goalie who's capable of facing high shot volume because it's a rebuilding team, a young coach. They got to figure out everything like defensively. It's going to take time. Um, and, you know, last year, frankly, he wasn't. He wasn't ready. And they, he, I wouldn't say he was the reason that they got off to a terrible start last year, but he wasn't helping, right? Uh, I think last someone pointed it out. I forget who, um, but last night someone pointed out that game against New Jersey, the Sens lose nine times out of 10 at, in November, right? You know, they're, they're not having their best effort. They were a little sloppy. They scored the goals they needed to, but then their goaltender was there when they needed him. And that's what he's been since that game against the Leafs. And it's, it's so much fun to watch. And I, I'm a culprit of it. I've ragged on Matt Murray all, all the beginning of the season. He was really frustrating to watch. I remember that San Jose game in San Jose. Um, the Sens played really, really well. And the Sharks were a beatable team, I thought. And he just let them down. I, I, I straight up believe that. So I think that was the game he got sent to the minors as well. But um, he's completely turned it around. I'm all for it, obviously. Uh, and, you know, goaltending is the most important position in hockey. And if anyone tells you otherwise, then they don't know what they're talking about. Because look what it's doing to the team right now. It's, it's you know, giving them a chance to, to win pretty much every night. Yeah, any play, any skater can have a bad night, and they got four other guys on the ice that can you know kind of shelter them, and you might not notice it. Exactly, your goalie has a bad night, you're screwed. Like you know, and like mm-hmm. I I will fully admit I've been one of Matt Murray's biggest detractors. I I didn't think 
the trade made much sense at the time, but you know, I wanted to see and I wanted to see him succeed. I just I also never understood why people were like, Well, why are you being so hard on? It's like the dude couldn't stop the beach ball for three weeks in November. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. so it's like it's great to see him doing uh good now. And I'm really, I'm really, really curious to see, you know, um what he looks like because I, I think he should start getting a lot of the workload. I I don't care to see Forsberg much at all. Hell, I, I would rather see Gustafson back up playing as a backup role, I think, now. Um, you know, I, if they'd yeah. rather just keep him down and get him controlled starts, whatever. But, you know, Forsberg, to me, I didn't really care if they resigned him or not. But I want to see Murray getting, you know, I think he should start Thursday, Saturday, Tuesday, maybe even Thursday again. You know, as long as he's feeling good, obviously, if he needs the rest, you give him the rest. But, um, yeah, the, these next 10 to 12 games for him, I think, are crucial because last year was the same kind of thing where there was five or six games right at the end where people were like, oh, he's fixed, he's fixed. See, it's like, okay, well, like, the whole team was really playing well. and But, like, mm-hmm. again, the competition really was not that strong that they played down the stretch. And it's like, let's just see what he looks like going into this year. And it was a mess again this year, right? So I don't want to jump right to the he's fixed, he's fixed bandwagon, but it is so much nicer regardless to see him playing better. And it's just obvious to watch too. Like you can, he just looks more confident and I'm not goaltending guru by any means, but when you're watching him, he just looks like he's tracking the puck well, much better where I, I felt like at the beginning of the year, even in like the scrambles right in front of his net, he would just completely lose where it is. And then suddenly it would shoot out to a guy and it would be an automatic goal. Whereas I, I feel like he's really tracking it down well this year where he's at least giving himself a shot to stop it. And that's really making a huge difference later in this year. So I think, I think you're right. And he looks more confident. That's, that's still, uh, obviously it's true, but there's still been moments where he looks shaky. Like there were a couple of moments last night where he thought he had the puck and he didn't, that's going to happen, right? No, no goalie is going to be perfect. Um, but I think a lot of it should be credited to, to the blue line. I think that blue line has really stabilized and Eric Branstrom playing really well and being back is a huge reason why, obviously, um, we'll see how it holds up with Zaitsev back full time. I'm not very confident, but at the moment, I'd honestly, like in the grand scheme of things, I'd rather have JBD and Thompson in Belleville at the moment. Like obviously right now they'd be better players, but I think, in the long run, it makes more sense. Just let them fight it out in training camp next year. So the blue line stabilizes. I think Josh Brown and Branstrom are actually a very good pairing now. Like they're they're silent. They don't make too much, they don't make any mistakes anymore. Um, you know, Josh Brown's really settled down in that role. I think that helps, right? When I, when a defensive pairing or uh core is stabilized and, and calm when they are under pressure, it helps the goalie a, a ton. It can't not, right? Um you know, he's seeing pucks and, and you're right, but he, he is the difference. He's been the difference. You know, this could be a starting with that Carolina game where Norris got hurt. This could have been a really rough stretch for the team with the two top offensive guys out, but they're, they're hanging in there and uh, you know, hopefully we, we see it continue because it's fun. Yeah. 100%. And, you know, I am just trying to, trying to pull up uh, Josh Brown's numbers here with and without mm. some teammates on a natural stat trick as I stall for time. Yeah. But uh, um yeah, with, with sites have come back, I just, man, I, I tweeted this last night and I was frustrated, but I, I'm just, I'm at the point where I really do not care to see Nikita Zaitsev anymore on this no, team. No, me neither. And, me neither. And like, I I get it. It's He's an NHL player probably, but I'm like, I'm at the point where I don't even care to see him as a sixth defenseman because I've seen him as yep. a top four too much. I just, I don't want to see it anymore, you know? And, well, and I, I yeah. think you tweeted today, right? Was it uh, the, the bio thing with him and Colin yeah. White? 
And I couldn't believe how many people were voting for Colin White or Nikita Zaitsev. I was like, I don't care what White's contract is. It could almost be double the AAV it is now. And I would still rather yeah. him because at least he is a useful NHL player in some capacity. I'm just not sold. Zaitsev is like, I, I just, I, I have no yeah. more words no, to I, say. I, I really don't. So, yeah, so it's interesting that we're, you're looking up as you look up uh, Josh Brown's natural stat trick there. I tweeted out a while ago when Zaitsev was still injured, like, who would you rather in the roles that they're given right now? You want Josh Brown playing third pairing minutes or you want Nikita Zaitsev playing 20 minutes a night? And there were an overwhelming amount of people wanting Zaitsev for 20 minutes. Some people didn't read it right, read it properly and said, you know, I want Zaitsev on the third pair. Well, it's like, that's not what he's going to be because this coach likes him. The management, I don't, I don't, I'm not ready to say the management likes him because he's been here for the rebuilding years. Um, and it's, I was just going to point out too, it's ironic that he comes back and doesn't play well in the game that Connor Brown also comes back and plays well. It's like we, last night was a full on, here's the trade again. You can think about it because every time you think, oh, it's such a bad trade, you weigh it with Connor Brown, who's a very versatile right winger right now who, who they need is their best right winger at the moment so um i i'm not i'm not going to label it a bad trade i don't think it was uh but you know like it's like a glass half full kind of situation um and i i i can't believe people don't want to get rid of zaitsev like buying him out makes so much sense to me i just i i don't even know what people see in him anymore like i'm just I get so flustered yeah. when I talk to him because it's not like his eye test is like, he sucks. No. <laughs> like, yeah. And, and yeah, like when it comes to the trade, I, I will defend to this day that I think it made total sense for both teams, you know, like, mm -hmm. yeah, Ottawa got definitely the worst player in terms of Nikita Zaitsev, but they got a guy in Connor Brown who was still a useful piece coming out of their rebuild. And the Leafs got, they took one year of Cody CC, who was very meh for them. And then they let him go. And then, because of that, they got $9 million in cap space, which they used $4 million of to sign TJ Brody, who is now one of their top three defensemen, right? So, like, it, it totally yep. it made total sense for both teams. And it was one of those classic, does there have to be a winner or a loser? But, yeah, to me, like, Ottawa can make it even better on their end if they just cut ties with the dude. Because I remember yep. that exact tweet. I was one of the people who said it's like, with these two scenarios as it is, I, I would rather Josh Brown, you know, like, because I just, I don't believe that they're going to use the key to in a proper way. And that's exactly what it is. And uh, for anyone curious, so I just looked up Josh Brown and Eric Branchum together, 51% Corsi 4 percentage uh, and a 60% expected goals percentage. That 60% is second among almost all defense pairs. Uh, the first is actually hilariously Dylan Heatherton and Victor Mete. Uh, I set my time on ice to 25 minutes, though, so they only play 26 minutes. Um, but Josh Brown and Branstrom together is the best pairing for anyone who has played over 50 minutes uh, with the Sens this year. Um, so, like, they've really looked that's, good together, and the, the stats back it up, too, right? That's like, shocking almost, right? Like, Yeah, like, a player, that's, like yeah. that's unreal. Like, <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and you can attribute it, obviously. Branstrom came flying out of the gate in the last – whatever it was he came back from his uh, hand injury um so he's been a different player so obviously that's going to play a, fa a factor into it but people don't give josh brown enough credit he has really settled down and i think if he can continue this for the rest of the season a you could fetch a good return for him at the deadline or b i would not be opposed to keeping him around in that role i think um ideally i've seen a lot of deep pairings and and uh like for the next season you slide sanderson in and move Zub and maybe with Shabbat and then Holden and Sanderson together. That's to me would be a great decor. 
Um, I, I'm not ready to say I want to keep Josh Brown, obviously, but those stats, like it doesn't shock me. I think they played really, really well and they've gone under the radar. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it kind of shows what Josh Brown is, and that's he's a sixth slash seventh defenseman where if he has a really good D partner with him, he's going to look fine because he is yep. an NHL player, you know, like, and, and yeah, exactly. that's, that's not an insult by any means. He's so when they, when they traded for him, I, I forget what they traded, like maybe a sixth or a sixth, six, I think it was. Yeah. Something, nothing. So, and, and people were like, oh, he's DJ Smith's boy, whatever. And he was, uh, but he played on the Florida Panthers the year, but prior. And that was when they were the best offensive team in the league, but also the worst defensive team in the league. He played 36 games with an average of maybe 10 minutes and he was a plus one. Like he wasn't a bad player for them, which to me was like, I saw that I'm like, I'm kind of excited for this guy. Um, he struggled. I'm not gonna, I'm not the Josh Brown fan club. He struggled mightily in the beginning of this season, especially. Um, so I can obviously understand the animosity towards him, but if you're just from a pure hockey perspective and you, you know, you're a fan and you understand the game, you cannot look at Nikita Zaitsev and say he's better than Josh Brown right now. Like no, not at all. Rolls aside, he's just a like not as smart as a hockey player. Like that's the thing. So um yeah, I was just gonna pull up the, the Zaitsev buyout info and just kind of run through it again. So they wouldn't save any money, pretty much. They'd save 1.6 million uh in total or like salary and stuff, and they'd have to extend paying him for another two years. Um by only paying him 833,000 or something for the next two seasons. Uh, Buyouts are kind of confusing, but anyways, it would just kind of double the length of the rest of the length of the contract uh, as a kind of a cap hit. Um, To me, that's a no brainer. You're saving money. uh, And again, I'm mentioning Simmer. He was going at it with me, not going at it, but he was, he was kind of counter arguing me. Um, about it and saying, you know, you don't just shell 7.6 to someone to tell them to go away. And, you know, my point is the Sens especially have, have a history and this management has a history of treating players terribly. Um, you know, Murray wasn't a fan of the way it was handled earlier. Um, Del Zotto is a, another whole other issue that is kind of quite literally buried in Belleville. Um, so I think if you're, trying to get rid of Zaitsev, it's like, okay, you look for trade partners. If it's not there, I don't know if waivers is a good play, you know, because if he clears, what do you do? Do you just play him in Belleville? Like that's disrespectful to the player that you've played on your top pairing for the last four years, right? They can't just do that. No, not at all. And because, you know, I can only imagine how upset he would be about that. And then I think it just kind of farms a toxic environment in your farm system, which you don't want exactly, right? So, so they either, so if that's the, if they're, if you're the sense management this summer and you're sitting down going, okay, we got to get rid of this guy. Here's the buyout option. We save 1.6 million or we put them on waivers, take a penalty for putting a one-way contract on waivers uh, or in the minors. And he clears, let's say, cause he probably will, he clears waivers. And then uh, what you pay him the rest of the salary in Belleville, like the buyout saves money and it just adds a, in, in, sorry, I, I know how to explain this. I don't know why I struggled. So the contract ends in the 2024 off season now, right? Yeah. If they buy him out, it would be a cap hit for the next two seasons following that of 833,000. That's nothing. That's a minor league contract or that's an entry level contract. So I don't think it's uh, unnecessary. I don't think it's unreasonable to discuss a buyout versus putting him on waivers. I think it's 
a buyout is better for the player. He can go explore other options, gets money up front. Like, I don't know. I think I, I would way rather than buy him out. I don't even think waivers could be an option, to be honest, especially with how yeah. this team operates. Like, I, I was shocked they put in Del Soto on waivers. Like, no, me too, know? me too. Like, they just, and yeah, I don't know. Like, to the whole thing of you can't pay someone 7.3 to say, we don't want you anymore. Teams do that all the time. Like, exactly. I mean, look at that Suter and Parise buyout. Yeah. You know, yeah. They're, they're, the Minnesota Wild are about to be hit with $14 million cap hit for the next two years because they told guys to just piss off. We don't want to anymore, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I would much rather lean, uh, you know, bio to anything. I, I just, I think they would lean Colin White because they have to pay less money because of how young Colin White is. And, you know, um, obviously with this owner, uh, obviously there was the reports over the weekend that Gary Bettman said a couple of Canadian teams wanted to play in America and, I can circle that to probably one Canadian team wanted to really play in America. But um, yeah, I think if, you know, finances aside, and when we're just looking at the cap aspect of this, it's a no brainer to me. If you, if you can't find a trade partner um, to, to buy him out uh, because you don't need that $2.8 million in, in cap space over the next two years, you know, especially if you're a budget team, like if their internal cap is, 72 million dollars 73 whatever right like and that even if the actual salary cap is 83 million dollars or 82 and a half that 2.8 doesn't do anything for you you only care about the 1.7 or whatever you're paying for in that year you know so it, it really it just does not matter and no so, so I, like, yeah, I, I would fully yeah. be on team buyout here yeah and this is a team let's remember you know, if you might shrug at a $1.6 million saving over four years, this is a team who there was an introduction of a taxi squad for a month and a half. This is a team that repeatedly on off days put Lassie Thompson or Jacob Bernard Docker on the taxi squad. There was a back-to-back, um, I believe it was the Oilers and the Islanders game, uh, like right before the break. It was a back-to-back. They had Lassie Thompson up, I think. Uh, yeah, it was Lassie Thompson, played against the Oilers, played fine, didn't get a ton of ice. Um, it was more Shabbat and Branstrom in that game. And then they scratch him the next day, and it's kind of like, what's the point of scratching him? And it's like, oh, so you can put him on the taxi squad. You know, that's how I think they did it. So, you know, shrugging at $1.6 I guarantee the Sens are not shrugging at $1.6 in savings. Um, so that, that, that to me is not a good argument for that. Um, if you are to keep Zaitsev next season, he can't be in the lineup and expect to win. I don't think, uh, but I will say, I will say like Josh Brown, I think Zaitsev before he got injured, like the sentence started to play well before he got hurt. He settled into like a calming role. It's just when you're playing with a guy like Shabbat, you need to not run around and hit people. And I would love to pick Mark Mathot's brain because, you know, he played with Eric Carlson and he knows how to play with an offensively minded defenseman. Um, and it just, he just so happens to have a podcast that talks about the team all the time. So I'm sure they've hit on it. I just haven't caught it, but uh, it, it's, it's frustrating when the team makes all these steps, they make all these steps. And we've talked about this on, on the future sickos podcast a lot, you know, they take two or three steps forward and then it's one back to what you were doing originally. And I think Zaitsev is one of those um, uh, examples pretty much. Yeah. And with the key to Zaitsev, like the, the thing is that, you know, even when going back to the Mathot Carlson days, the, the reason Mathot worked with Carlson wasn't because Mathot laid guys out every other shift. Like, obviously, he knew how to throw the, bo- throw the body, but yeah. Mathot was responsibly 
de- defensive responsibly, you know, like he knew where to pick that open guy up and, and knew where the second guy was coming when Eric Carlson was coming back, you know, exactly. off of a rush or whatever. And, and, you know, Shabbat obviously plays a little differently than Carlson, but Nikita Zaitsev is some of the worst defensive zone awareness I have ever seen. And that is why, you know, he just cannot fit a Mark Mathot role because he doesn't know what he's doing in his own end. And, you know, as much as we kind of laugh at Mathot, he's, he wasn't a puck mover by any means, but Zaisev treats the puck like an active hand grenade. Like when oh it is God, on his yeah. stick, it is just getting tossed out of there. So I, yeah, yeah, I don't see how, you know, if you truly want to become a team that is shooting for playoffs next year, which I absolutely think they should be like, I think next year is the final. You cannot have excuses next year. You no. need to be shooting for playoffs, but yeah, Nikita Zaitsev cannot be in your top four. I don't even think he should be in your top six, but like at the very least, he's got to be your sixth most used defenseman because again, like that lack of awareness really kills him on the penalty kill too. I don't, I don't think he, mm-hmm. I know DJ says he's tough to play against or whatever, but it's like, he doesn't look that tough when he's getting danced around and leaving his man wide open, you know, like it just, no, it's so frustrating. And it's even more frustrating when, you know, Obviously, you don't wish an injury on anyone, but when we saw him out with an injury, we saw the decor look the best it has in years. And, yep. you know, and, and that's with a couple 20 year olds in the lineup in Thompson and um, uh, JBD. So, yeah, I, that's one where it's just like, I, I pray that they decide to move on this year. Even like, I would, I, I would be at the point where even if they had to give like a third round pickup just to move him somewhere, I would be open to seeing that just so Smith can't take it away because, you know, we touched on the top of the podcast too. I think Smith has taken a lot of heat over the years and a lot by me as well, but I was trying to think what I would grade him in a mid season grade so far this year. And when I thought about it, I kind of went, well, I don't know if it's quite an A, but it's at least a B plus. Yeah. Like he has, yeah, I think so. It's been the classic DJ Smith story of I haven't minded most of what he's done. I just think a lot of it comes three weeks later than it should. You know, I think the biggest thing I'll give him credit for is moving Tim Stutzel to center. Uh, imagine this team right now without him. The, the Chris yeah. Tierney would be the top center. So I, I think um, you're right. I, I think that's a pretty solid grade, right? Like you can't give a, a coach with a negative record, like an A plus. So at the end of the day, the coach has to answer for some stuff and there's obviously going to be problems with him and he's going to get scrutinized after some games and praised after some games. Um, but to me, I think that's the biggest move he's made. And if he is a big fan of Zaitsev and management sees what we see, which for all intents and purposes, we have to think that they do, um, you know, mid season, they can't just be like, you got to scratch this guy. Like those are the coach's decisions. So, you know, I think it takes away a little, it's like, it's like I was saying, it's one step backwards if they keep putting him where he is. Um, the best part about the Senator's position right now is that they have very likely, and I'd be shocked if he isn't a top four defenseman on the way, uh, which is Jake Sanderson. Like they get a free deadline acquisition pretty much. Um, so you have, that's, that's like your excuse to take him out of the lineup. Who are you going to take out if it happens tomorrow? Like, you cannot reasonably pull any of those other five out when they've been playing so well. So that's my thing. Um, I think when Sanderson gets here, we're going to, barring any injuries, let's hope that this six stays healthy until then. So we can tell, Um, but that's not going to happen. So I know next year, I I think that top six that I I mentioned, like with Sanderson replacing Zaitsev pretty much, and then you can juggle the pairings a little bit. That's that has to be the ideal play. 
Uh, and then you get Thompson and JVD fighting for the seventh position pretty much, and they can work their way in. Right. Um, because I do think, you know, there comes a point where you can't have two 20 year olds and a 19 year old uh, on your blue line. Like you could try it. I just call it. I would be open to them trying it, to be totally honest. And so I, I only might, say yeah. that. I, I do only say that because all of the, well, other than Sanderson, but even next mm-hmm. year, Sanderson's going to also have NHL experience. So, yeah. you know, I, I definitely think you should keep like hold, whether it's Holden or let's say they re-sign Josh Brown, those guys have to be there as your seventh, eighth defenseman who are still on the roster for if sure. things get shaky for a Thompson for a couple of games or whatever, you can swap them in or back to backs. Maybe you swap them in and out, but I also wouldn't be against it, but yeah, with, um, you know, the, the other thing with DJ Smith, I really liked that he did this year was he, they finally moved Branstrom to the right side. Yeah. Branstrom wanted to do that for years. And for some reason, the yep. organization said, no shocker it happens. And the guy looks great. So um, yep. yeah, I think it's going to be really, really interesting to see how they approach here. Um, there's two guys I want to talk about, uh, you know, switching to the forwards here, uh, especially on the depth of, um, you know, one of the, one of the things we've got to see with all these injuries up front is a couple guys that we, uh, probably you wouldn't have got to see. And one was a waiver claim and the other, um, you know, it's just a draft pick, but uh, two guys that have impressed me, especially last night against New Jersey, uh, they're the two of the best forwards and uh, that's Adam Gaudet and uh, Mark Kostilic. Um We can get into Gaudet first. I'm really interested to see what they do with him. Obviously they picked him up for the cheap. Um, you know, I can't remember if it was a depth draft pick or if it was just straight off waivers. I think it might've even just been waivers. waivers. Yeah. 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 And um, you know, he's been, He's been fine. Like he's he's shown some skill at times. He's got eight points in thirteen games, which I, I don't think he's going to continue that pace quite quite there. But like obviously, like that is uh, impressive stuff. I'm I'm very curious to see if he has worked his way into their long term plans, or if it's someone that they feel they could even get a pick for at the deadline, or what happens with Cadet. But he has been um, like I've been very pleasantly surprised. You know, when they picked him up, I thought it was. Okay, like we desperately need a forward, so go for it. But he has been like legitimately impressive so far, and that's not something I saw coming. Yeah, me neither. I think they've had a lot of waiver pickups and you know draft pick with the seventh round pick um, trades lately. And I think of of all of them, he's been the most impressive. I think in the last few years, other than Mete at the end of last year, but he's fallen off a cliff this season. Um, I really like the way uh, he plays, and I think it's because he's. You know, it's one of those, oh, it's his last chance kind of thing. He's got to prove something. And um, he just provides depth scoring, right? Like, they don't have any scoring in their bottom nine or bottom six. I mean, uh, outside of, I guess, Nick Paul, who is right now in the top six. So it's it's good depth scoring, and he can play up and down the lineup. A right-handed shot, which helps, too. I don't think they have a ton of those right-wingers um, at the moment. So... I've liked it. I liked his game. I don't know what they do with him as he's an RFA at the end of the season. So uh, it changes things. I'm not sure if he has arbitration rights, but I wouldn't be surprised if they just bring him back on a one-year deal and uh, kind of let him fight it out in camp a little bit. Um, I don't know if they have a long-term plan for him necessarily. And I, I don't know where he would fit in uh, to the ideal lineup next season if they go out and get some other forward, but uh, I've liked it. I've liked his game. He's fun to watch. He's not a liability and he, he can score, which is fun. It's great. Yeah, and I don't know if they even need a long-term plan for him, you know? Like, if if they give him another one-year, $2 million deal or whatever it is next year is a, a prove-it deal for him, and, you know, I, I think he could fit on that, as you said, in the bottom six. I, I really hope they – I think they're one of their biggest off-season needs should be a, 
a true top six right winger to um, yep. help push down. Because I, I think if you can get a true top six guy, and I know they want dad not to be that guy and it just didn't work out. But if you can have Connor Brown on your third line, I think that's really ideal. And then, um, you know, Watson gets hurt so much that I think having a guy like Gaudet, whether even if he doesn't play all 82 games, but someone who can play kind of spread out on your fourth line there. And as he said, give you, even if he chips in 10 goals and, and 25 points or whatever on the year for a million and a half bucks or whatever, like, that's a useful enough player if you're actually trying to mm-hmm. win some hockey games. And, and you know, again, I just, I really didn't see that coming from him, but I just pulled up the Ottawa Senators uh, forwards as well. And, you know, like so far this year, he ranks second in expected goals and Corsi four. Uh, he is, I'm uh, sorry, first in Corsi four. Uh, the only player he's behind in expected goals is Tim Stutzla. So like he's right there with Kachuk, Batherson, Brown, and all the informants in all these categories. So like, that's a pretty good crew to be uh, right around in, you know, when it comes to, to play driving too. So it's not just his base metrics that look good. It's his underlines as well. And again, I just, I really didn't see that coming. And, and that's one of those you know, nice surprises where it's like, Oh, like they may, because of all these injuries, they may have found a useful NHL or that they could at least use for another year or so and see where it goes from there. And then, um, yeah, the Castellic was the other one that uh, I thought last night, he really, really looked good against the devil. Yeah. Uh, he was shot blocking, you know, he, he was, causing hell in front of the net you know i thought they thought he had his first goal but uh it wasn't him it was um given to holden instead um but yeah i I really thought he has looked you know solid for you know just a guy that he was a shutdown defenseman in belleville really too and or sorry centerman in belleville uh, as well from what i understand of his usage but i i thought he's you know i again i I don't think he's a full-time nhler just yet but he looks like he's at least showed some promise and that's a nice thing to see too. I, I, I like him a lot. He's a big centerman, right? And that's a value that you can't overlook, even if, you know, size doesn't matter all the time, but when it comes to a fourth line centerman who can skate, you, you can't really pass that up. So I can understand why the organization values him highly. Um, kind of an unforgotten young guy in the, in the roster, but he'd be a perfect fourth line center. I think the way he plays. And, and I think, you know, I thought the same about Parker Kelly last season, but he hasn't looked good uh, this year. He just got called up today, actually. Um, so we'll, we'll see when he ends up slotting in. But I like I like Castillic a lot. Um, you know, I don't know if I'd rather him or Dylan Gambrell at the moment. I don't think you can you can keep Castellic and keep him in the AHL. I think for next season, but I like him a lot. I think you're right. And just seeing a big player move that fast, he has a similar skating style to Nick Paul um which we've obviously seen can be refined and like you can grow your game so you never know i think that's just an asset you got to keep hang on to if you're the senators for sure yeah absolutely and again like he's one of those guys where you don't need some big long-term plan for him but he's going to be on a cheap contract that you can kind of send up and down for a couple years so even if you know next year he's that guy where he's that fringe forward kind of like nick paul was for a couple of years with you know without the expectations where it's like oh shoot you know one of our bottom six guys went out you know hey we need a guy call him up and and you know again like that's just i think he was a fifth round pick so like that's a even if that's all you get that's a good use out of a fifth round pick anyways right so um for sure uh, yeah i think that's just about it uh that i had unless there was anything else you wanted to touch on um the, the schedule coming up is nuts i really cannot <laughs> state that at all um like it's uh and it's tough too. Like they got some good games in here the, the hurricanes the penguins the bruins the capitals the blues and then you get the Sabres, but then you get the Bruins and Rangers and Wild. So, uh, you know, I would say eight of their next nine games are against teams that are easily in the top half of the league. So it's going to be a really good litmus test to really see 
you know, how, how much this team has in terms of, uh, you know, gas in the tank and just overall skill as well. So uh, I don't know about you, but I, I'm really excited to watch, uh, watch them sense hockey over the next couple of weeks here. Yeah, me too. And I think the important thing is the Sens, I think have the most compact schedule just because they had so many postponements, but uh, I think a lot of these other teams are also dealing with some compact schedules. So it goes all around and might see some sloppy hockey like last night, every now and then, but the only well, we said it before, as long as the goaltending is sharp, this team will have a chance to win and be fun to watch. So uh, I guess puck drop is soon, actually. We're right at the puck drop here. So I'm excited to watch them. And, and um, you know, yeah, we're hoping that they get back to, I guess, a full lineup and we can we can watch all these guys play because it looks like everyone's going to be getting healthy in the next month or so. Yeah, and that's the uh, most exciting part about it is if they could end the stretch run here with, you know, a full group of guys, that's all you can ask for and, you know, get some good hockey. Uh, Jack, thank you so much for joining me today. Plug some stuff. Where can people find you and all your work? Yeah, so I'm uh, Jack Richardson, and my name is Jack Richardson on Twitter, but just without the A and the Richardson. Uh, it's a fun one to explain. Um, I'm, I'm a co-host on the Future Sickos podcast. We just interviewed uh, Jay Fresh Hockey, big well, probably one of the biggest analytic uh, people in the hockey world. So that was really cool. Really interesting to hear what he had to say about the Sens. Um, and yeah, we, we got a good team over there and it's, it's just another part of the the wheel that is Senator's Twitter. It's a lot of fun. So um, yeah, thanks for having me on and anytime. Yeah, no problem. I'll have to have you on down, uh, down the road, you know, I'm sure there will be lots to talk about as we get into the uh, end of the year here and even in the off season. So thank you so much for joining me and I'll talk to you later. As I just mentioned, uh, thank you so much to Jack for joining me. I uh, hope everyone else enjoyed that episode as much as I did. Uh, that was a blast. And uh, yeah, as always, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Last Word on Sends for the podcast account and at NHL Sends and stuff for myself. Uh, also at LastWordOnHockey.com. Um, there I am. I've been trying to write a little more. So I had a piece on the Holden extension and kind of where I see the blue line going, which I think is fitting for this episode and the bulk of what we talked about. And I'm also going to try and write maybe another piece on Adam Gaudet because the more I look at it after I talked about it on this podcast with Jack, uh, the more I realize that uh, he has actually been very, very strong for the Ottawa Senators. And um, as the time that I'm posting this, you know, he, he looked a good good again last night. So, um, yeah, thank you so much for, uh, for everyone for the support. Uh, I'm going to keep trying to go about every once or two, uh, once every other week or so, maybe once a week uh, with how busy it's going to be. Um, I'm busy with my personal life too, so it's been um, um, tough trying to keep up to date all the time, but uh, I'm really liking the schedule of at least two to three episodes a month, um, whether that's every seven to 10 days or 10 to 14. Uh, I, I feel like it does give a lot more to talk about, and then I'm not just breaking down the little plays that everyone watched during the game anyways. But as always, if there's anyone you want to hear uh, on the podcast, please just let me know uh, on any of the media outlets I just mentioned or in the comments here. Uh, I would love to reach out and uh, I'm always looking for new people to have on. So uh, thank you everyone. Stay safe and I hope everyone's great.